how easy is it for us to look at that and to feel pressure? We've been on our series of submission and authority. Last week we were looking at the three realms where battles come from. The three realms were Satan's kingdom, the world system, and our flesh. Whatever battle you face will come from one of those three places. Maybe disguised, it may be hard to determine. But each one has a different way to fight. And we have to fight the way the Word of God told us to fight against each one of these. Because if we don't, we won't be successful. We saw in Satan's kingdom that the substance of these attacks are deception and wrong thinking. In the world system, the substance of these attacks is conformity and pressure. When attacks come from our flesh, the substance is temptation and wrong desires. The substance of every attack is different. The defense is different. When we have an attack from the enemy, from Satan, we submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee. Our defense comes from being in him. When we have an attack against the world system, from the world system, we need to know the word and hold to the word. Don't seek the world's approval or its blessings. Our defense comes from the Word of God. When an attack comes against, uh, from us against our, from our flesh, we bring it into subjection, the Word of God tells us. We bring our flesh into subjection to our spirit. It comes from being disciplined and in authority. Our defense comes from our discipline and training. We then looked at the storm of the sea and we saw the different things that were going on in the attacks there. If you're up on Facebook this morning, I threw a few questions out we'll get into. If you weren't, then you'll just have to wait until we get them to them. But in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, we all know this verse, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We know that verse well, but we want to look at that verse in the whole context and understand how it is that we are supposed to battle because we are not involved in a battle that we are to lose. God never expects us to lose a battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, let's go all the way back. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Too often, folks, we go after these battles and we fight them in the flesh. Sometimes we think we're fighting them in the spirit. We want to fight them in the spirit, but we end up fighting them in the flesh some of that is just because we don't know what a spiritual weapon is. We don't know how to go about these things with spiritual weapons. And we tend to fall back on what we know in the natural, which is flesh. So first off, we need to know where the attack comes from. Which of those three realms is the attack coming from? What is the attack trying to accomplish? Do you know that many people lose the battle because they don't realize what the, what the 
attack is even trying to do. I put this in your outline for you. Attacks from any realm are seldom about things. Attacks from any realm are seldom about things. Things being our, uh, the stuff we have, the jobs we have. It's, it's seldom about things. They are most often about principles and precedents. Principles and precedents. The enemy is not content to take things away from us. What the enemy wants to do, what your flesh wants to do, and what the world wants to do is to establish precedent. It wants to take, attack our principles. Because if we can get you to compromise your principles once, we can get you to compromise them again. If we can get you to do something once, then we can get you to do it again. How many times has your job asked you, can you do this for us? For us? I know when we hired you, you said you wouldn't work on Sundays. Now, some of you had jobs and you, you weren't able to make that. I understand. But how many have ever had a job and you said, they are open on Sunday, and you said, I, I'm not going to work on Sunday? How many have ever done that? I think we all do that. And it works for maybe a week or two. And then what do they do? Look, we have a shortage. <laughs> can, you, can you come in? And then what happens if you try and help them out and, all right, tell you what, you're, you're really stuck. I'll come on in and help you out. Then what happens next time? I mean, you find yourself on the schedule. Well, you, you were able to be here last time, right? We established a precedent. This is, that's just an example of it, but this is what, what generally wants to happen. Satan's kingdom, the world system, and your flesh wants to establish precedent. It is the, your flesh is not content that you eat Twinkies once it's established a precedent Twinkies are okay well you had them yesterday you didn't die right never delays you can't eat just one right we've established a precedent you've already had one now just have another and after you have the other one then what Uh, uh, another one see we're, we're after precedent we get attacks, we're, we're reading the Word, we're studying on a regular basis, and then all of a sudden things happen and we don't get to it today. And the world didn't end. And what happens tomorrow? Well, you didn't read the Bible yesterday and nothing happened. We established precedent. This is what the kingdoms uh, of, of Satan, this is what the world system, and this is what your flesh is after, folks. They're trying to establish precedent. They're trying to attack your principles. They don't care about things. But we sometimes defend things when the world is coming after principles and precedents. We'll see that these attacks come against our fellowship with God. This is one of the things that wants to try and attack. When attacks come, whether it comes from the enemy, whether it comes from the world system, or whether it comes from your flesh, we're going to see that these attacks are to uh, weaken take away from our fellowship with God. By, and it does this a number of ways. I'm just listing a couple of them here for you. This is not exhaustive, just a couple of them here. It's trying to build a distrust of, first off, a distrust of His Word. What did happen with Eve? Has God really said? 
that a distrust of his word? You see, if I can get you to distrust his word today, it's even easier to get you to distrust his word tomorrow. And then even easier to distrust him the day after that. First thing is his word. Secondly is his love. How often has it been in our past that we have distrusted the love that God has for us? Well, God, if you really love me, you would, this wouldn't have, we would list things because the attack is to come to get us to distrust the love of our Father. If he can get us to distrust his love, he will affect his fellowship, affect our fellowship with him. So, trying to build a distrust of his word, his love. There's a third one, his plan. How many have ever been tempted to think that God does not have a plan for you? God doesn't really care what happens in your life. It's getting you to distrust his plan. Or that he has any plan. He's got plans for other people. I don't know that he has plans for me. And you begin to distrust that God has. And you read that scripture that says about his plans for you how he had plans for you before you were formed in the womb and if you distrust that he actually has a plan for you pretty soon that will work its way to distrust other areas of the word of God the word of God is true for everyone else but is not true for me you see how the attack comes in it's there to attack a principle it's there to set a precedent that's what they want to try and do wherever the attack comes from this is what it wants to do but you see, you can, by combating the, the enemy, by combating your flesh, by combating the world, you set a precedent to do something different. When the attack came against Daniel, it was trying to get him to leave a precedent. First off, in the food that he would eat. Secondly, in the times that he would pray and who he would pray to. And what did Daniel do? He's not going to back down. He's not going to give in on the principle. He's not going to set a new precedent. And when he, he did that, what did, what did God do? God came through. God did some wonderful things. If he hadn't have made that stand, those things wouldn't have happened. That's what the, the Word of God, when it says, what the enemy means to destroy, God can turn around for victory. He'll do that often. If we will stay with his principles and with the precedent. And not give in. So we try and defend things. We're not defending principles. We're not defending precedents. I don't go out here thinking, well, if you ever work on Sunday, you've missed God. Not trying to tell you that at all. Sometimes we work in jobs and that's just the way that it is. You're going to work every other Sunday. You're going to work every third, whatever it might be. And you knew that going in. That's, that's fine. That's, you're, you're not going to hell. You're not weakening your Christian walk. Anything like that. Don't, don't be thinking that. But if that job is, I, I told you my job, my job was, you know, in the pizza industry, selling pizzas, it is no one was going to die if there were not pizzas made. You wouldn't always know that if you talked to some of the supervisors and things like that. You would think people were going to die and, and such things. But um, that's, uh, that was it. I told them from the, from the day I was hired, I, I'm not going to work on Sunday mornings. I have school on these days, Monday through Friday. I'm not working then. Uh, but I can work in any evening and I can work any, any weekend. I'll work every weekend if you want. I gave them, I said, every Friday night I will work. Every Saturday I will work. You tell me day, night, whatever it is, I will work. But Sunday I will not be here. 
And uh, they were willing to comply with that until they ran into an emergency. And then they asked me. And you know, there, there was a choice to be made in that. Now, you've got to take each one of your choices. Different. Don't take it from, from what I did. Take it from where, you, where you're doing. I'm not telling you that if you go into, into work and make pizzas on a, on a Sunday, <laughs> you've compromised everything. not trying to say that. Just trying to say, if you've established a principle and a precedent, don't let the world system, don't let the enemy change it. Don't let your flesh change it. Sometimes you just say, well, I can make more money. Well, I can get more time in on all these different things. Yes. Don't let that, that compromise you. I worked for Kelchner's Horseradish. There were no Sunday hours. It was almost like working for Chick-fil-A. There were no Sunday hours. I don't even think we had many Saturday hours. But the people, I was on the delivery route, and when you're on the delivery route, they only want to see you Monday through Friday, and Friday is suspect. They really only want to see you Monday through Thursday. That's it. So we tried to keep the delivery days Monday to Thursday, Friday for all the paperwork, turn everything in. Saturday, Sunday, there's no work to do. That's just the way that job worked out. It's nice to have that. Isn't it nice to have a job that does not ask you to work on Sunday? But not everybody has that. Some places have the, have the jobs, and certainly if you work in a hospital, nursing home, stuff like that, I don't know that you even have a choice. I think when you take the job, this is how it's, it's going to be. So don't feel that you've compromised anything. If you, if you took that job, you're in that, that's just the, the way that it goes. So don't, don't lose sight. We're talking about precedent. Talk about principles. I think eventually when I was working over at Ken's Pizza, they, uh, I didn't, if I didn't have a ride to go to church on Sunday night because I didn't have a car, the church I went to on Sunday morning I could walk to was only a mile up the road. So it wasn't hard to, to get to that one. But they didn't have Sunday night service there. They had Sunday night service at their own building, which is all the way on the other side of town. I wasn't getting there without a, without a ride, and there were some other churches around, but I needed a, uh, a car to, to get there, uh, at least to show up decent you know i could run there and be all sweaty and stuff like that and they probably want me in the building so we didn't, didn't do that so sometimes they asked me to work on a sunday night something came up things like that and well if i'm not going to church i'll i'll go ahead and do that but i'd make sure that they would know i can do it because i don't have a ride to church tonight if i had a ride to church tonight i wouldn't be here so that's we established it that way so anyway don't compromise the principle don't compromise the precedent don't don't adopt the new precedent Make sure you do that. Because that's one of the things they're, they're going to try and do. They're going to try and come, a, come against you. But they're going to, tr- going to work towards, as far as your fellowship with God, distrust the Word, distrust His love, distrust His plan. There's probably some other things you can put in there, but those are some of the main things they're going to come against. Trying to, to get you to distrust this. Because if we can get you to distrust God, you're not going to walk in faith with Him. Here's the second one comes against our community with others by building suspicion. Build suspicion. God has called us into a community. You are not called in a com- to a community with everyone. You are called into a community with Christians. Understand when the Word of God says that by your love they will know, it's not your love of everyone. Sometimes we get that confused and we think, I have to love the world so that the world knows of Him. That's false. The Word of God says our love for each other 
by your love for other Christians that the world knows of God's love. Don't fall into that. See, the enemy compromises that word, gets you under pressure. Now you've got to love everybody that way. That's not what it's talking about. You are called into a community with other believers. Not everyone who goes to church is a believer. And you are not called into community with them. You are called in community with people who have Jesus Christ as their Lord, who have faith in Him, trust His Word. Those are the folks that you have community with. So they come against our community with others by building suspicion. Suspicion of, first off, their Word. Have you ever been to a place where you are brought into suspicion of the Word of other Christians? Have you ever been brought into a place where you brought into suspicion their, their love? Have you ever brought into a place where, you, where uh, a suspicion is built on their intentions? Why do they want to be friends with me? Well, why were they calling me? Well, why were they doing this? Have you ever had that? Because if we build suspicion on these things, we become guarded, we put up walls, and we don't allow community to happen. Every person who's in the body of Christ, folks, has some problems, has some rough edges. And they will sometimes rub you the wrong way. We all have some rough edges too, right? Does God love us? Does God ever try and block us from fellowship? Does He ever say, I don't really want anything to do with you today because I'm just a little suspicious of you? He doesn't do that, does He? Even though we give Him plenty of reasons to, He doesn't do it. That's how we're supposed to love each other. And do that. We become suspicious of their word, their love, and their intentions. When we do that, our community with other people becomes affected. Remember how if you were here on Wednesday night or if you subscribe to the podcast and you go off on some of those, you'll see Elijah, as powerful as he was, he gave in to some of these things. And we see him being isolated. We see him in despair. We see these things going on and that's what the devil wants to try and do he wants to get you out of the community and to be isolated and by yourself you all have seen the National Geographic videos you know when the lion comes in to take out the uh, what is it the, the, the deer the antelope the whatever the wildebeest whatever the thing is running all the herds when they go after the herd what does the lion look for looking for one of them to separate Trying to get separation between one. Because all they want is one. They don't want to kill the whole herd. They want one. And so they chase them and chase them and chase them until one of them becomes separated. Either because it's slower, it's wounded, it got itself lost. And then once it becomes separated, then they work to get in between the herd and the one. Because in the herd, there's protection. But they get it separated. And then they all gang up on that one, and then it isn't too long until... You know, the, no more wildebeest. You've got it taken care of. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with you. Because as a roaring lion, he goes about seeking whom he may devour. What's one of the persons he can devour? The ones that are isolated. Don't get into that. Here's the third one. And to stir up in us, that's in our flesh, unbelief, hate, pride, Fear, 
I mean, that list can keep on going, right? We'll just leave it to those four. The works of the flesh are evident, the Word of God tells us. But it's going to stir these things up. It's trying to stir these things, trying to stir up unbelief in our flesh, trying to stir up hate in our flesh, trying to stir up pride, trying to stir up fear. These are not God things. This is what the, the enemy wants to try and do. Because if I can get you to fear, if I can get you to hate, I can set a new precedence. I can get you off a principle of God's Word. If I get you off that principle, I've got you weaker. That's the goal of the enemy. That's the goal of the attack. I put this in your outline for you. Sometimes an attack may span more than one realm, but still originates in one. Take a look at Eve. Eve in the garden. When she was attacked, when she was tempted, what the, the attack came from the enemy. It was Satan in the garden. That's where it came from. But he came in and stirred up her flesh. God knows in the day that you eat of it, you will, and began to build up things in her that she would have if she did it, that God was keeping her from. So the attack came from one realm, moved over to stir up another. Jeroboam, when he took over the kingdoms of the north, the attack came from the enemy. The promise came from God. If you will follow after me and do as David did, I'll make of you an enduring kingdom. And as soon as he took the throne, remember the thought that came to him? If the children of Israel keep going down to Jerusalem to sacrifice to God, they will eventually forget about me, kill me and my household, and go to the house of David. So he consulted some people, and they came up with an idea. But you see, that was something that came up in his flesh. That was a fear that came up in his flesh, but it started from the enemy. The enemy put this thought out there. The enemy was fed in his flame, but it spread over to another, another area. You can't just deal with your flesh and win. You've got to deal with the enemy. Saul. When Saul was called into battle, they were lined up against the Philistines, and Samuel said, wait for me seven days. And so he waited for them six and a half. And he he said, well, the people are going. The people are leaving. The Philistines are gathered. We haven't made sacrifice to the Lord yet. And one of the words that he used was, I felt compelled. What's that terminology tell you the battle was coming from? The world. That's the world doing that. The world uses the pressure. He's feeling compelled because the people in his army are leaving. Because the situations are going on around him. He's feeling it in his flesh. But it's all coming down from the enemy. There the enemy uh, spanned two kingdoms. But the original attack came from the enemy. And he stirred up these other realms. If you just fight the realm of the world, if you just fight the realm of your flesh, you will lose. You've got to first off come after the source. When Jesus fought the battle of the wind and the waves, he had the wind which represented the spiritual forces that came against him and the waves which always represents the world system. What did he speak to first? The thing that started it. The waves don't just happen. Wind causes the waves. So he spoke to the wind. And then he dealt with the waves. And then he turned to his disciples and dealt with them. 
But you see, you've got to deal with the first things first. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, we've talked about this, but it's been a number of years since we've gone over this. But we've talked about it before. If the weapons of our warfare always pull down strongholds, are they really strongholds? No. They cannot be a stronghold if the weapons of our warfare always pull them down. A stronghold is something that can resist the attack, right? Way back in in, uh, Jesus' day, way back in the Old Testament days, they put walls around cities. Why did they do that? To protect them. Because the walls that were around the cities had the ability to protect them against attacks. We don't put walls around cities anymore. Why is that? Because they're ineffective. We now have weapons of warfare that are not stopped by walls. We have planes that would fly over top of the walls. We have troops that can get over top of the walls. We have bombs that can blow up walls. Walls are not anything that will stop us. So therefore, we don't build them anymore. The only reason that you utilize something is because it's effective. If it's ineffective, we don't utilize it anymore. When we came up with jet airplanes and we had jet fighters, the propeller ones were useless. They don't teach history much in school anymore. But if you go through the history in the wars and the, and the things with Hitler, Hitler actually had the jet engine first. And they actually had planes with jet engines that were running circles around our prop planes. And it was looking pretty bleak until we were finally able to get some jet engines up there and to do something. But our planes were not as good as theirs. Our tanks were not as good as theirs. But our God was better than theirs. <laughs> Glory to God. See, if he says it right here. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This verse tells us this. If there is a stronghold in our life, we are not applying the spiritual weapons. Isn't that right? If the spiritual weapons are mighty and always pull down the strongholds, then if there's a stronghold in our life, it must be we're not using the spiritual weapons. Because the spiritual weapons do what? They pull down strongholds. Does it say anything in there that they sometimes pull down strongholds? No, it says they pull them down. That they are mighty in God. So either, and you've heard Christians, surely not anybody here, but you've heard other Christians who have gotten up and said, I have these strongholds in my life. What's that saying? I have areas in my life in which I'm fighting carnally. I'm using carnal weapons. I'm not using spiritual weapons. If you were to go into battle today, and if some of us were to wheel out one of those catapults, what would happen? Chariots and horses were once the the big thing for, for strength and might. But if you go out on the battlefield with chariots and horses, what's going to happen? It's not going to work real well. <laughs> You're not going to get very far 
Chariots and horses are not powerful anymore. If you go out in the battlefield with a sword, even a Roman sword, that they did all kinds of innovations on that sword. It was a great sword, great sword for battle. If you go out there with a Greek shield and all the great things they did with those shields, what would happen? Those weapons were made for fighting arrows and swords and spears and things like that. Not grenades. Not ICBMs. Not the uh, shells coming from a battleship shot over 25 miles to hit its target. It's not, not going to work. See, folks, we're going backwards. We're fighting wrong. If you fight with the spiritual weapons, you will always win. You will always win. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, he says. Go back one more verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We're walking in the flesh. We're here. We walk in the... But we don't war that way. If you as a Christian can be brought into a place where you war in the flesh, the enemy knows you will lose. Because you're not using the weapons the way they are intended to. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. See, arguments come to us. Arguments will constantly come to us. If we are facing a battle at work, don't arguments come into your head why you are going to lose? If battles come to us about other people that we have relationships with, don't arguments come to your head about why you're going to lose? If you're battling something in your body, don't arguments come in your head about why you're going to lose? Don't you begin to think about things? Well, you know, you haven't been doing. You haven't been. And you're not. And this. And we think about all these things. They come up. Arguments come in. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When the enemy came to Eve. Did he not present with her an argument? As God said, you shall not eat of any of the trees of the garden. No, 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 no. We can eat from the trees of the garden, just not this one tree. That tree, we're not supposed to eat it or touch it. Well, he just said eat it. He didn't say anything about touching it. As God really said, there's the argument. Casting down arguments. The weapons of your warfare will cast down those arguments. When they cast down those arguments, they are powerful. And they will knock down any stronghold that is in your life or tries to be formed against you. Anyone. They will knock them down. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How many of y'all been around some stuff? They're trying to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Challenge your principle. Challenge why you do the things you do. Why you've set a certain precedent. Aren't they trying to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now think about this. We're talking about high things, but how high does something have to be to be bigger than God? Hmm. I was thinking about this the other day. 
Because you know, I mean, I, I love space exploration. I think it's the, a neat thing. And uh, when they shot this uh, explorer out there and it got over to Pluto, anybody following that? Anybody following the New Horizons probe? We went out to Pluto, took some pictures of the, of the thing, and uh, maybe you know, it might rise back up to planetary status. I don't know. I still consider it a planet. I don't know what anybody else does. I don't care what anybody else does. I consider Pluto a planet. They can go back and forth on it. That's their, their problem. But anyway, we got some nice pictures of Pluto and we got the, the things that we can see. I was beginning to ponder this and, and you know, we, the little bit that we know, and we don't know much about this universe. We know a bit, a little bit. We have scientists, of course, to make all kinds of conclusions based on that little tiny little bit that we know, but we don't really know a whole lot. But one of the things that we do think we know is, uh, ne- anybody seen a nebula? Know what a nebula is? Nebulas are fantastic. Nebulas are the most colorful things you will find in the in the solar system, in the in the galaxy, in the universe. They are astounding, and they have names for them. Uh, I think there's one called a cat's eye nebula, and it does look like a cat's eye, it's, uh, and I still like it. <laughs> They have, they have names on all these nebulas because of the things that they look like. And they're just these uh, collection of all kinds of gases. They call them birthplaces of stars. The stars are, they, they think, stars are born there and they go out. So I began to think about this, just pondering on, on the little stuff. And we, we sometimes get too small of a view of our God. We know that God is holding all things together. All things are held together by, by, by him. So we got our, uni- our, our, our solar system, our sun and the planets that revolve around it, and we're just one. We got whole galaxies that consist of a whole lot of stars with things going around them. Planets and, and such, some have more, some have less, some stars are bigger than, than this. If you ever, anybody know how to find this, the constellation, one of the easy ones, the constellation Orion? Orion is a real easy one to find. Uh, all you got to do is look for the belt and the sword. Find the belt and the sword, you got it. Well, in that belt and sword combination, in there is a star called Betelgeuse. And that, that Betelgeuse is a, is a star that is a red giant. There's different stages of the stars. There's the white dwarfs, there's the red giants, there's a, the sun like we have. There's the uh, other different stages. We're not going to get into all, all that. But a red giant, if you took that particular star, Betelgeuse, and you put it where our star, our sun is, the Earth, the Earth rotation revolving around the sun, would be inside that star. That's how big it is. It is a huge, massive one. And it's not. It's not the largest. It just happens to be the one that's that's in there. It's a red giant. There's different stages. When they go white, they get smaller. When they're yellow, they're a certain size. When they're red, they're, they get to be bigger sizes. But they, they have all different sizes. You can tell how old a star is by its size and by its color. You'll be able to, to tell all that from as long as what little bit we know is actually true. <laughs> and, and it applies into that. But just think about this. If you have nebulas that are birthing stars and stars come out and then somehow those stars get planets that revolve around them, and God's holding them together. God is holding all those solar systems, all those galaxies, all those stars, all those 
planets together while still managing the people on this earth. And he has so much ability left over, he just keeps making more. Yeah, we're making up more stars and solar systems and we'll hold them together. He's not even challenged. If this universe does not challenge him, how can your life challenge him? He is not challenged at the making of all these solar... He just... You know, make it some more. You just make up some more. And it, it's always expanding, they tell us. The universe is getting bigger. So he's got more area to manage. And it's not getting bigger, I'm sure, because you're dealing with the solar system, you're dealing with light years. It's not getting bigger, you know, a mile or two a day. <laughs> We're talking huge numbers. And it's nothing for him. Helping out with you with your life, it's not a big deal. God's ability has not even been taxed yet. And look at some of the things that he's done. Made the universe. Made our earth. Put people on it. Animals on it. Raised his son to life. And his ability has not even been, been taxed. Has plans for all the people born here now and who have ever been born and those who still are to come has plans for them. Our God is big, folks. And if we use warfare, if we go into warfare and use His weapons, because it, it says they are mighty where? In God. Don't take them out. Leave them in there. Mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Our spiritual weapons, folks, are not carnal. They are mighty. Now, we're using a little acronym here. We, remember, we talked about walls. Walls to the folks in the Old Testament, New Testament, walls were powerful. The bigger of a wall you had, the more massive a wall you had, the more protection that you, you had. So you can just go in your blanks right there and just write first letter W-A-L-L, wall. Here's the thing. Our spiritual weapons are, they're not carnal. First off, they're God's Word. God's Word is one of your spiritual weapons and is powerful in Him. That means you've got to have the right understanding. That's why we're always pressing in to find out more from God. It means we've got to have faith, not fear. Stay with the Word. God's anticipations. Could have put thought in there, but anticipations work better. But God's anticipations. Worry are bad in, uh, anticipations, right? We don't want to worry. We want to do a, go after God. Have God's anticipations. Don't have the, the enemies. Don't have your flesh's anticipations. Don't have the world's anticipations. Because each of them have them. The enemy has some. The world has some. And your flesh has some. Don't hang on to those. Go after what are God's anticipations for your life. God, what are you thinking about when you think about me? What kind of a future are you thinking about? And you think about those. That is a weapon. If you don't think so, why is the enemy so much trying to get you to think about defeated thoughts? Why does he spend so much time thinking that your future is not so bright? Why is he always trying to get you to think thoughts that you're going to die? You're going to lose your job? Why is he always trying to get us to think those kind of thoughts if it's not important? Here's the next one, God's love. 
God's love is a weapon. The enemy needs to get you over into hate. He needs to for, for a reason. Or he needs to get you into a fake love. False love. Not God's love. A human type of a love. But God's love is a weapon. He's going to try and, uh, and, and fake it. He's going to try and get you to, to substitute human compassion for the love of God. But human compassion, folks, is not in God. Walk in God's love. God's love is sometimes firm. God's love sometimes will walk away. Look at Jesus. Jesus modeled it for us. We can certainly use that. Here's the, the fourth one. God's light. God's word is light, a light unto our path. The enemy tries to come in and cloud things. He tries to come in and make things murky. He tries to come in and make you wonder about... Th- th- there's no light. He tries to come in with deceit, deception. He comes in as an angel of light, but he's not light. If we stay with the weapon of God's light, we can knock out a whole lot of stuff. How many times have you even brought people made accusations against you? One of the best prayers you can pray is, Father God, I thank you that all things we brought to light. Whatever it is that they've done, that they be brought to light. Just pray for that. Because God's light, folks, is a weapon. It is a weapon. It's a powerful one. Because as soon as you put God's light on a, on a thing, whatever that the enemy has done to create deceit, to create deception, to keep things hidden, are brought right out. If you're stumbling around at nighttime, all you need to do is flip on the light switch, pull out your little flashlight, shine it on there, and as soon as you put the light on there, oh, oh we're doing okay. right? Light is a powerful weapon. These are some of the weapons that we have. God's Word, God's anticipations or God's thoughts, God's love, God's light. And as we said, our weapons always pull down strongholds. They always do it. God's weapons will never see defeat. So the enemy will try and get you to pick up the wrong weapons. He's going to try and have you battle the wrong, the wrong kingdom, the wrong realm. He's going to have you use the wrong weapons. Because if he does, he can get you to be defeated. He's going to pull you into arguments, compassion, concern, even sometimes prayer can be a wrong weapon. If you are praying for what God has already given you, you are in unbelief. And prayer is a wrong weapon. There are many times Jesus did not pray. Jesus spoke. Don't always be, be praying. If the devil can get you to pray for something you are not to pray for, He has gotten you to pick up the wrong weapon. And he won't be defeated. Because he knows you just stepped into unbelief. Don't pray for things that you already have. Don't be messing with it. Speak to it. Rest in it. But you don't always have to be praying. If you're going to go to God in prayer, just say, Father God, I thank you that you are great. That you are powerful. That you have a plan. And that you are working where I can't see. Amen. <laughs> That's it. Don't need to do anything more. Spend the rest of your time worshiping Him. That's a good way to pray.
All right, here's the last one, energize. Not the way that Scotty does it in Star Trek, but to fill you up with energy. Thoughts of doubt, hate, fear, and such drain us. They will drain you. Do not give in to them. The enemy wants you to think thoughts of doubt, thoughts of hate, hating different folks, thoughts of fear. He wants you to think these things because if you think them, it will drain you. And he's totally content to wait until you are thoroughly drained before he attacks you. Don't tell us folks in this kingdom, just wait a little while. We don't need to attack right now. We got them thinking on the wrong things. We can drain them. Here's what the Word exhorts us to do. In Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. If we could just get that down. And stop complaining all the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. That means that there is never a time in the day that's not good for you to rejoice. Yeah, but what about... No. There is never a bad time to rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice, just in case you were coming up with any kind of an argument. Again, I say to you, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. nothing. So if we become anxious about anything, we have disobeyed the word and we've established a new precedent. We have left a principle. You see? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if you need something, you go to God and you ask Him for it. Ask Him. Right? Just, just there's, there's so much born of asking. I heard a story one person was, was telling. Uh, I forgot who it was. It's somebody I don't hear all the time. But they were talking about a story. They were in the airport. And they had tickets for this air, airlines. They were flying someplace. And this particular airline had a fee for baggage. They charged you for each one. I don't know if it's... Uh, whatever it was, it was going to be uh, $50 for the baggage. To, to fly. And so uh, he said, well, I guess I have to go. I didn't realize that, but um, all right, well, we'll just have to do that. And then a, a thought came to him, and so he asked the person behind the desk this. He says, I don't know if they do this here. He was in another country. I don't know if they do this here, but over in the United States, we have a program that for a, a fee, like $50, if you have room on the plane, that I can upgrade my coach fare to a first-class fare. Do you have anything like that here? Oh, we certainly do. And we do happen to have room on that flight. For $50, we can upgrade you to a first-class uh, seat. He said, that, that's great, I'll take it. And so for $50, he, he upgraded. He says, now, is it still true that first-class bags fly free? Uh, yeah, that is true. So for paying the same $50, because he asked, he got... First class seating. And I guess going from country to country, it's, you're going to be in there for a little while. That's probably a whole lot nicer than being up there for two hours. Got it. Just because they asked. I'll tell you what, folks. We don't, we don't do enough asking. How many times does it happen that something in your spirit came up 
to ask someone something and you didn't do it. You have not because you... We don't always have to ask God. Sometimes you're going to be dealing with a business deal or airlines or whatever it might be and you just need to ask. Just ask. All they can say is, no, we don't have that. All right, then you go out with the same thing that you would have. But ask. Be doing some asking. That's what it's saying here. Let your request be made known to God. If you need something, ask God. And then once you ask God, let it go. Rest in it. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. How many of us have been thinking about things that do not fit this list? Why? Because the enemy wants to drain you. It is a whole lot easier to attack a person if their energy is lower. It's easier to attack a country if their defenses have been drained. The enemy is going to sow some thoughts, some anxious thoughts, some worrisome thoughts, some things that are not just, some things that are not pure, some things that are not lovely, some things that are not of good report, some things in which there are no virtue or anything praiseworthy. He's going to try and get you to meditate on them. He just needs you to meditate on one or two because if you meditate on one or two, you've established a new precedent and you have left a principle. And that's what the battle is about. It's not about things. It's about principles and it's about precedent. But you have the opportunity to establish a precedent. What are you going to do? When you take on a new diet, is that not a new precedent? And what's your body always trying to do, get you to do? Leave that precedent. If you start a new exercise program, what's your body trying to get you to do? Leave that. This is a new precedent. We don't like this precedent. It makes us sore. Don't, don't be doing it. Think on these things. If you continue to think on these things, you energize yourself. You come out of there feeling good. He says, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You ever feel anxious? You ever feel like there's no peace going on? You just go back to this. Say, Father God, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this. That means peace is with me. Peace is with me. These fill us with strength and power. And the more you get filled with strength and power, the better it is. When the, when the enemies came after Superman, what did that to do? Get separation between him and the yellow sun. If you know the Superman comics. Because he got his strength from the, from the yellow sun. The green kryptonite, that took it away. So that's what they're, they're trying to do. Trying to, to pull that down. Where does your strength come from? It's telling you right here. Think on these things. There's some strength here. There is some strength. Every time we learn a new principle from the Word of God, 
We need to incorporate it into our life. We need to stay with it. And make a new precedent. One in which we can keep on going on. Understand that attacks come in to take your fellowship with God down. To take your community with other people down. Don't let that happen. Don't, don't let it happen. You gain strength from other people being around you. Now, how many of you have ever been in, in church long enough, you know that some Christians can just bug you? Yeah, some Christians, they can just, they can just bug you. But, and as long as we think on those things, we're not thinking on the things of this list, are we? Because the Word of God tells us in, in uh, 1 Corinthians about love. Remember the teaching on love? Think the best, among other things. But think the best of people. And we need to do that. But sometimes we can get hung up on something. And we don't get the, what, what that person brings. Because every, every person who's in the body of Christ is called a hand, an arm, an ear, an eye, a foot. That means that each one of us in the body of Christ has a function. And you need to get the function that they have. You just look at some of the things that go on just on a Sunday morning here that go on here. You know, we open up the service with Ethel. And she, she starts teaching on some things. And, you know, if you want to, you could focus on some things that are negative. But then you'll miss some stuff. I think Ethel does some of the things that she does that are so well is she will take the Word of God and show you how to live it. How she lived it that week. How she applied the Word of God that week. I'll tell you what, it's a good thing to learn. That's a good thing to learn. But what's the enemy want to get you to do? Focus on the, on the negative. Focus on, on something. No, don't do that. Then you're not going to get what you should from the, from the community on that. You know, Brother Jolly gets up and he, he ministers. Brother Jolly probably, and, and Sister Merce, they both. You know, they have such a heart for the unsaved. I love what they're able to do and what they're able to communicate as far as what they've done during the week and what they've, what they've, uh, how they've ministered, how God has used them for the unsaved. I love how they do that. It gets, gets, we, we see that, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can go out there and reach to the unsaved. Brother Naz comes in and he ministers on some things. And you know, when he cuts up there, doesn't he show you how the Spirit of God can minister to you in worship? It's minister to you directly through worship. Doesn't he do that? Of all the things, I mean, there's other things that all these folks teach us too, but of all the things, doesn't that stand out to you when Brother Naz gets up? Brother Mike's been getting up here a couple of, couple of times now for the, for the, for the offering. Don't, don't you, I, when I listen to him talk, I just, I catch such a concern for Christians, for believers, for them to grow and to develop and what we can do to help that, that out. Don't you catch that? And that's something that helps us out too because if we grow in our concern, we're growing in our love and then the world knows that we're his. Glory to God. These are, these are good things. What is it? And there's other, other folks in the church too and they, they minister in other areas and just talking about the people that you, you see on, the, on a regular basis getting up. Worship team gets up there every, every Sunday. And I'll tell you what, they're, they're showing you some things about team. How well a bunch of people get together as a team to bring us all into a place of worship. Don't focus on, well, they don't do this and they don't do that and, well, we didn't sing a hymn today. Well, we didn't do this today. No. <laughs> I do love it when they sing hymns. I, 
I grew up on hymns. So I, I, I like when they're doing hymns. They're, they're good. I like some of the, the folks that uh, get out there, Travis Cottrell and some of the others, and they take some of the old hymns and they change them up a little bit. Oh, man, they're, 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 I enjoy that. I enjoy that. But, you know, every, you're going to hear on a Sunday, they can only sing four or five songs. How many songs can we really get into? You only sing a few, but they didn't sing my favorite song today. Uh, well, that's all right. Maybe they got you a new song, and maybe that'll become your favorite song. Glory to God. But in, enjoy that. Don't, don't be looking at the negative of what the believers do that are around you. Look at the positive. Because from community, God is going to make you stronger. He's going to make you stronger. If you focus on the right kind of thoughts. If you use your weapons in God, the way they're designed to be used, they are mighty. And they always pull down the stronghold when used properly. Always. Which means the devil really has no stronghold unless he can get you to think that there's a stronghold. Isn't that right? Would you all stand up with me? What stronghold have you been told is in your life and it's just going to be a very long battle to get out of? Use the weapons that God has given us. Use the weapons that He has put at our disposal. Use them in Him. Change your thinking. Establish new precedents on new principles that you learn from the Word of God. And work them into your life. And then look to work in some more. And then look, look to work in some more. And then some more. Because pretty soon you're doing this at a regular basis and you're getting stronger and stronger and stronger and you are becoming a formidable force against the enemy. We were at the, the funeral yesterday for Miss Gladys' brother. And as they were talking about, uh, one of the things they were, they were discussing was when we come to the end of our race. I was thinking about this. It says, you know, we can, just because we've hit the end of our life doesn't mean we hit the end of our race. I want to make sure that when I get to heaven that I finish my race before I finish my life. Because some people may never even start their race. Some people may only be halfway through their race before their life stops. Oh, let's make sure. I know Paul said, I finished my race. I think Paul did finish his race. I think Paul finished everything he was supposed to do. Glory to God. <laughs> it was good. It was a good time. But that doesn't mean that just because Paul did that everybody did. I don't believe that Saul in the Old Testament finished his race. I think he barely started his race and then his life was over. There are others we can go through. Samson, he didn't finish his race. He may have died, but he didn't finish his race. Let's get ourselves ready. The stronghold that is in our life will hinder us from accomplishing what God wants us to do. Therefore, God wants it gone. And God has given you the weapons to tear it down. Father, we thank you for the weapons that you have put at our disposal. Thank you for the incredible strength of those weapons. Do those re weapons bring about victory? 
cause change when we aim them at our problem. Thank you, Father. That we are growing in the knowledge of you. We are learning more and more principles. We are setting new precedents based on your word. And the enemy will not deter us. The world will not compromise us. And our flesh will not distract us to something else. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have some praise reports. I hope some of you are uh, talking about what we ended up with last, last week and talk about some of the battles you were facing. I do have some praise reports. Uh, okay, this one was from uh. Candy. She said she was blessed um, financially for her birthday, and Bobby also received a financial blessing from someone um, that, needed, that needed him. Amen. Because you never know what God has put on someone's mind for you. Amen. All right. This was from Ara. She says, I praise God for adding one more year to my life on July 23rd. Hallelujah. Happy birthday. So I thank God for my Zoe family, all your prayers, and for my, um, all, my all your prayers for when I was, uh, she was sick this past week, and also for your birthday wishes. This is one from Ethel for healing. She says, my right heel had begun to hurt about a week ago. Um, After being bothered by it, I finally, she she writes, I finally remembered my authority and commanded it to live up um, to what the word of God had said. She said yesterday was the first time in a week that she was pain-free. She praises God for the Holy Spirit who reminded me of who I am and what I have because of Christ. Amen. Um, All right, now I hope I get this right, Jolly. He says he's praising God for his faithfulness that delivered him from a ghastly and deadly auto accident on the eve of their housewarming. He had brake failure. They found out that brake fluid was leaking, or actually it was all gone. He was going 65 miles an hour on the highway, and just a few seconds before there was a traffic holdup, God had steered him into the, the uh, police service lane in time to engage his handbrakes. Now imagine wow. doing that one. <laughs> Talk wow. about angels surrounding you, stopping that car. So then the second part of that is the car dealership um, estimated the cost to be about $2,000 to fix the entire problem. He said, the Spirit of God in me will not leave me obliged. He says, I had it towed to my driveway, and a friend who was a technician of his, um, they got the problem fixed. He said, they bought the replacement parts from Pet Boys for $37. The dealers estimated it would be $900 for that part. So praise God for these (laughs) answers to prayer. (laughs) Wow.